Well, we're in the sermon series, The Revealing. And I'm so thankful that when Jesus resurrected on Easter Sunday, he didn't just leave it at that. He didn't say, hey, I'm resurrected. Uh, I'm gonna just go on. But over a period of about 40 days, he, he revealed himself to people. Uh, at one point, one of the gospel writers says he reveals himself to 500 people at one time. We know he reveals himself the day he resurrects. We know over the next 40 days, there, there's the, all these accounts where he's showing up in the middle of people's circumstances. So Pastor Adam last week talked about how he revealed himself to Mary Magdalene when she was confused standing at the tomb. She thinks she's looking at the gardener and she says, hey, listen, if you just tell me where you put him, just tell me where you laid him, I'll take care of it. And then she realizes it's Jesus in the middle of our confusion. He shows up right in the middle of us not having any clue what's going on. And I'll be honest with you, there have been moments uh, in this crisis that I've had no clue what's going on. But Jesus shows up in the middle of that confusion. So today I wanna to talk about something that's real in every, in every person's life. On that same day, why don't we read the scripture together? Let's start out like that. John chapter 20, we're gonna keep going from where we were last week. So if you're in your living room, sitting there, why don't you stand up for the reading of the word? Let's give honor to it. John chapter 20, we're just gonna read verse 19, 20, and 21. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, it has the power to change us. Every time we look into your word, it renews our mind and we pray that this day would be no different. Change us today, Lord. Make us different than when we started out this morning. Let your word permeate our hearts and our minds. And Lord, we pray that as your word gets in us, we pray that fear would leave us. We pray that we'd understand how sovereign you are and how gracious you are and that we don't have to fear. Comfort us this morning, Lord. Give us confidence in you as we look into your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone all over the place said, amen and amen. If you're at your house, you may be seated. We pick up this story Sunday. The Resurrection Sunday, we pick up the story. Jesus has resurrected early, early in the morning. The ladies leave before daylight. They go to the tomb and they find him not there. They find the guards passed out. They find angels. They find a little bit of what might seem like chaos. So as the day progresses, Jesus has revealed himself to Mary Magdalene. Peter and John have run to the tomb on her testimony. And they find no Jesus there. They find his grave clothes and his face cloth wrapped up. And they find two angels there. We know that there's 
a couple people on the road to Emmaus that Jesus reveals himself to. We know that Jesus is starting to show his resurrected body to different people at different times on this resurrection Sunday. Now, John in chapter 20, starting at verse 19, picks it up in the evening. And there's something very particular that we need to look at. The disciples know that there's no body in the tomb and they know there's a testimony from a couple people. They know Mary Magdalene is swearing up and down that she has saw the Lord. We know she's emphatic about it. I mean, if you had seen the risen Savior and you had grabbed a hold of him, you'd be emphatic about it too. You'd be running back saying, I've seen him. I've, I've touched him. I, he's real. If you were the people on the road to Emmaus, you have been just as emphatic. The problem is not everybody saw him. The problem is not everybody had the opportunity by the evening of Sunday, the evening of resurrection Sunday, not everybody had the opportunity to see and touch and hear the resurrected Christ. So I don't know about you, but for myself, if, if one of my kids come running home saying, Hey, this person was dead, but now they're not, I'd be like, okay, I'm not saying you're a liar, but I'm not saying I'm going to believe you either. Especially in this circumstance where it just, it wasn't a person who had died of natural causes. Jesus had been crucified. Jesus had been punished with the ultimate punishment He'd been crucified like a, like a common thief, like a common criminal, and they had all seen it happen. So now, now they know his body's missing and there's an eyewitness testimony of a couple people, but that still is not calming their fears. Because John records that they've, they've went into a room, some, some theologians believe it, they probably went back to where they had the last supper. They probably went back to the upper room where it's big enough for all of them to gather and they go and they gather together again, just to figure out what in the world are we going to do? So they go back. We don't know if they're praying. We don't know what they're doing. We don't know if they're sitting around shell shocked. We, it doesn't really give us a lot of description, but it does give us a couple things. It gives us the description about what the situation was in the, with the security in the room. It says that they had locked the doors and then it gives a very specific reason why they locked the doors. It didn't say they locked the doors because there had been a lot of crime in the area at that time. It didn't say they locked the doors because they had a bunch of money in there. It didn't say they locked the doors because they were afraid uh, of their neighbor. It said they locked the doors specifically for fear of the Jews. Now, why is that important? It's important because the same people they were afraid of, the reason they were afraid of them because they had just killed Jesus a few days before that. They had been standing in the garden with Jesus, barely able to keep their eyes open and witness Judas betray him in front of everybody and then see him carried off. Peter makes his way close enough to see the trial and yet deny him three times. It says that they were in close enough quarters to watch him die on the cross. The place where one of them carried Jesus' mother away before he died. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if I had been part of all of those sequences over the last few days and watched the very people who ran the community that I was a part of crucify the guy who I thought was the son of God, I'd be a little bit uneasy to say the least. You could probably go ahead and call it fear. You could probably go ahead and call it panic fear. You could probably go ahead and call it peeing myself a little bit fear for one of my favorite uh, terminologies. You could call it fear to the point where I'd be locking myself up because I have no idea now what could happen. And John paints the picture that they're locked up for the fear, for fear of the Jews. And you can bet they were thinking they're next. We know from Matthew 28, 11, that the whole story that was being propagated starting that day was that these very people had stolen Jesus' body. Matthew 28, 11, it says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests and all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell the people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So I want to present to you, this situation was not a game. This situation was serious. This situation was a life and death situation. It was, it was a real deal. Between Sunday morning and Sunday evening, the rumor had spread that the very people locked in this room were staging a conspiracy to make it look like Jesus had resurrected from the dead. The guards who had been knocked unconscious by the resurrection. I want you to think about that. The same guards who had been knocked unconscious, the Bible says they fell like dead men when the earthquake came and the, and the angel hit the ground. It just, it just knocked them out. So these same guards that weren't even awake to see Jesus exit the tomb go back to their handlers and they say, hey, listen, he's not here. So instead of punishing the guards, they say, okay, now you're part of the solution. We're gonna pay you to propagate this rumor. You go out and tell everybody that it was the disciples that came in the middle of the night and they stole his body. And you keep telling it. And if this gets to the governor's ears, we'll make sure you don't get in trouble. You just keep telling the story, keep telling the story, keep telling the story, keep telling the story. Matthew says, even to the point where his gospel was written, that was still being propagated in Jerusalem. I don't know how long it took to grab hold, but I know in close-knit communities like that, rumors don't take long to fly, and they didn't need Facebook. So what happens is by nightfall, they're the center of the story. By nightfall, they're the reason Jesus isn't in the tomb anymore. By nightfall, people around Jerusalem are starting to hear rumbles that these 11 disciples that are left are the ones who came in the middle of the night and stole the body in order to make it look like he had resurrected. So now not only are you running the risk they crucified Jesus. We were following Jesus. Peter of all people knows that they can identify him. He's standing by the fire just while Jesus is being, uh, being on trial. 
and they say, hey, aren't you with him? So they know people recognize him. Now I'm sure there's rumblings throughout Jerusalem that, hey, they think you took the body. They're telling everybody you took the body. They're telling everybody that you took the body to make it look like he resurrected. Situation's pretty serious, I'd say. I don't think this is a normal day for any of these people. I think this is stuff that just breeds fear in us. Not only did they have the, the, the possibility of being, being, being punished just like Jesus was, but now they're dealing with a rumor that they know is not true. The only people that got up early that morning were the women. It seems to me that Peter and them slept in pretty well. So they know they didn't steal the body, but the body's not there. So now they're not only dealing with a possible case of prosecution from the, from the people in charge. Now they're dealing with a community who thinks they are propagating a lie. <laughs> you ever been in a place where you could get in trouble for something you didn't do, but you were getting blamed for doing it anyway? I remember being a kid. It was always, uh, I had good parents. I still have good parents but there were some things I didn't do. I'm sure I've been spanked before. Now, let me back this up so it doesn't look like I'm the innocent one. I know my brother's gotten spanked before for stuff he didn't do because I said he did it. And some of you that siblings know you have been the evil one in, in, the, in the room before. You know. So you can imagine the fear that is gripping them. We're not talking about a spanking when you're a kid. We're talking about life and death circumstance right here. The situation is as serious as it can get. And John says, they locked the door. John says they locked the door because they were afraid. They know something crazy is happening. They didn't have cell phones. They couldn't miss a message somebody. They couldn't, couldn't I message somebody. They couldn't, they were locked in isolated. And that's what fear does to us. Isolates us. Fear separates us. Fear separates us. Fear keeps us independent. And I'm not talking physically separated. I'm not talking, I'm not talking just like there's a virus going around and we can't go out. I'm not talking that. I'm talking fear starts to separate you emotionally. Fear starts to separate you relationally. Fear starts to separate you. When you get afraid of something, most of us start to back away, back away. Nope, I'm just gonna back away. I'm gonna back out of this real slowly. There have been times in my travels where, where I tried to put a straight face on, but inside I was as scared as a little teeny kid. I, I was just like, Lord, I don't wanna be here anymore. And I would have a friend look at me later in the day and said, man, you didn't, you seemed a little uneasy. And I was like, a little? Well, I'm glad it came across as just a little uneasy because I was scared to death. And in the middle of that fear, I wanted to back out. You see. We hear about fight or flight, which I think, I think that is a real experience when you're scared, fight or flight. So I think more than not, most people flight. But there's also another circumstance. I think a lot of us freeze. I think, it'd be, I think it should be fight, flight, or freeze. That's a real human emotion as well. 
I'm not engaged in anybody else. I'm just locked up. I can't run. I can't do anything. The disciples are not running from Jerusalem. They're just frozen in Jerusalem, isolated, scared to death, locking themselves in the room. So they're not fighting. They're not, they're not flighting. They're frozen. They've gone back to the upper room, locked the door. They're not coming out. I don't know when it's going to pass. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to just stay isolated. I'm going to stay divided. The crazy part is if you know anything about Jewish, Jewish uh, ceremonies and stuff, Jesus, the Passover had just happened. Passover was celebrated on a day and then the feast of unleavened bread would have started. And so Jesus resurrects kind of in the middle of the feast of unleavened bread. So the Jerusalem is still packed full of people in a festival type environment. And yet the disciples who would have been participating in that, in that community environment are now isolated because of fear locked in the room. Fear will cause you to lock things up. You've never locked up before. Fears will cause you to hide things. Fear will cause you to not tell people things. Fear separates us. And I want you to get this this morning. I want you to understand something. It is Satan's goal to separate us. It's simple. It's, it's divide and conquer. We're weaker when we're not connected. If you, if you think you're the only one walking through something, you are vastly weaker than if you realize there's 15 people around you that got your back. Fear is an isolating factor. Nobody, nobody ever says, I'm scared to death. I want to go in a big crowd of people. I'm scared to death. I'm, I'm going to tell everybody how scared I am. We don't do that. When we're scared, we withdraw. When, we scared, when we're scared, we stop talking. When we're scared, we stop sharing. When we're, when we're afraid, we isolate. And that's Satan's ploy. It's Satan's ploy right now for the church. If I could get the church separated during a virus. Satan forgot there's a little thing called the internet. That works really, really well now. And if this had happened 50 years ago, you might make the case for the church having to be separated, but not anymore. Not anymore. I just watched a webinar a couple days ago that said churches online have grown 40% since the coronavirus started. You know what that tells me? Churches aren't afraid. That Satan miscalculated a little bit. Maybe I could use a virus to, to separate people and separate the church and kill it, but he forgot the internet. And that the gospel can go forward no matter what now. And so instead of being, instead of, withdraw, instead of the church withdrawing and, and acting like this is the end of the world, no, the church has advanced during the virus. So what happens? It's Satan's goal to always isolate you. It's Satan's goal to always separate you. But I'm thankful that Jesus, a couple chapters before what we just read in John chapter 17, starting in verse 20, prayed this prayer. He said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's talking about you and me. Jesus just said he had just prayed for the disciples to be unified as one. He switches his prayer and he says, now I pray for the disciples. I'm going to pray for everybody that comes after them who believes. John chapter 17, he says, I've prayed for you. And now everybody that comes after you, this is my priestly prayer 
I do not only ask for, for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may be all, they may all be one, just as you father are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He says, if the church stays together, people will believe Jesus is real. If the church stays unified, people will believe Jesus is real. That, that's what Jesus, his own prayer was. Lord, if they see me, you in me, and I in you, if, if the church is in us, if the church is with us and in unity, then they'll believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. In them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. The most important thing we could do right now in the midst of fear is stay connected. Stay connected. Stay connected. Some of the, some of the, some of the most Fearful times in my life, I've been with people who were not afraid. And the way I was able to get through it was not by separating myself, but leaning into those people even more. I've traveled a lot. And there's been times on those travels where I was scared to death, but I was with people who had the calm and peace of the Holy Spirit. And I looked at them and and they weren't afraid. And so I started going, Chris, you know, you're afraid but you're connected to people who have done this before and are not afraid. So I can, listen, I was not at peace, but they were at peace and I could benefit from their peace. And when, this, when Satan isolates us with circumstances that cause fear in our lives, it's biblical. If you can't muster up peace and, and, and get rid of the fear, It's why he puts us together because there's other people who have walked through what you're already walking through, who have, who God has already given victory to that you can snuggle up against. That's a figurative term in this sense that you could get close to and you can say, Hey, listen, I don't know how to navigate this. And I was able to be connected to people who could walk me through it. I was able to be connected to people. So isolation is the worst possible thing. And listen, I'm, you know I'm not talking about physical isolation because I know right now that's what we're being asked to do. But with modern technology, we do not have to be isolated from each other. I've been on more Zoom calls in the past couple months than I've ever been in my life. Do I like it? No. But am I still connected? Yes. Still connected. Jesus said, you know what? In every circumstance, my prayer is that they stay unified. My prayer is that they stay unified. And it's always Satan's goal to divide us. That's why, that's why all, the, all the letters to the churches, that's why Paul deals with divisions in the church so much. Because he knows that if Satan can get a little fissure crack into the church and begin to separate and isolate people, it's the same thing 
in the, in the Serengeti plain, if a, if a pride of lions can run into a whole herd of animals, they are not trying to attack every animal. They're just trying to separate out a few so that they can chase them down and kill them. And, and Satan knows that if, listen, if I could just peel off a few people, if he could just peel off the disciples, it was only 11 he had already won. He had already conquered Ju- uh, uh, Judas. He had already won with him. So, okay, if I can peel off these other 11, if I can make them scared enough not to do anything, if I can enlist fear enough in their hearts, well, they just isolate themselves. I have nothing to worry about. So here we are, into the first day, locked up in the room for fear of the Jews. Looks like he's winning. Looks like he's succeeding. Feast of Unleavened Bread is happening. They're good Jews, and yet they're locked up, isolated from their community. They're not going around saying, we saw the resurrected Christ. They're locked up. And I would say this. When we're isolated by fear, it seems like it's always our choice. Bible doesn't say that anybody came and locked the door from the outside and said, you can't go out. It said they locked it from the inside. So I'm gonna ask you this morning, if you find yourself in a place where fear has caused you to lock the door, it's time for revelation. It's time for revealing. Because God doesn't want you to live that way. God doesn't want you to exist that way. God wants you in community. He wants you connected. Now, this is something all through this series that I want you to understand. We kind of have this idea in the church that that God only responds to faith. Like just a little bit of faith. If you just have just a little bit of faith, the size of a grain of, of a mustard seed, then you can move mountains. And we talk about faith. We talk about faith. God responds to faith. God responds to faith. And, and, and man, well, I, I prayed in faith and God did what I asked him to do. And, I, and, we, and we gathered together in faith and God moved on our behalf. But what I'm finding when he reveals himself after the resurrection is that he responded to fear. Now, I know you're sitting in your living room right now asking yourself, so all I have to do is be afraid and God shows up. No, 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 no. We don't want to be fearful just to have God show up. What I'm saying is when something happens and we have no control over it and it enlists fear in our lives, God is not waiting on you to have faith. He's showing up so you do have faith. Now, we need to get this right. God is not waiting on you to transition from fear to faith. He is a living God who's willing to show up in your living room and prove himself so that you can have faith. That's two totally different things. So we preach for years. Oh, just have faith and fear will, fear will be gone. Just have faith. Faith trumps fear. How, and I used to ask myself, well, how do I even get faith? Well, the way the disciples got faith is God showed up in the middle of them. He didn't send the neighbor over to say, hey, listen, you guys are a bunch of scared little girls and you should be better than this. Now pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go out and do what God calls you to do. He didn't say that. He just showed up and said, peace be with you. I'm real. I'm here, I'm real, and you don't have to be afraid. He didn't send anybody else to tell him. 
He's the revealing God. He's the God that wants you to know him. He's the God that wants to show up in the middle of your fear and convince you. I told you a couple weeks ago, God is not playing hide and go seek in your catastrophe. He's not trying to play hard to get. He's not like your first boyfriend or girlfriend. He's not trying to play hard to get. He wants to instill faith into your life. So what happens? The evening of the first day, the resurrection day, confusion has gripped them, fear has gripped them, and in order to put faith in them, what does he do? I'm gonna show up as many times as I gotta show up. And you know what gives me comfort? The most fearful times of my life, Jesus will show up right in the middle of it. He's not saying, hey, Chris, when you get it together and you start having a little faith, then I'll, then I'll reveal myself to you. No, when I'm the most scared, he walks into the room. <laughs> when I'm the most scared, he walks into the room. When, I'm, when I've got the most to lose, when I've got the most to fear, when I've got the most that I'm not sure about, he walks into the room unsolicited. He didn't even have a key. You know what else that tells me? You can't lock yourself up enough for Jesus not to get to you. You can't. I don't care what's happened in your past. I don't care what's got you on the run. I don't care what's got you isolated. I don't care what it is I've heard over the last 20 years of my life, people after person after person, God can't forgive me for this. God can't do this in my life. I'm too far gone. I've done too much. You can't lock it tight enough for him not to get to you. Jesus is a Houdini when you're scared. He just show up. He just walk into a room. It doesn't matter how many locks you got on it. It doesn't matter how many, how many times Satan tries to isolate you. He's the master of walking through locked doors. And so John says, with the door locked, he shows up. It's like Santa Claus, only he don't even have to use a chimney. He just shows up, walks through a locked door. He will get to you wherever you are in whatever circumstance you are and he will prove himself in your fear. He will prove himself. I believe Jesus revealed himself because they were afraid. It wasn't in spite of their fear, it was because of their fear he showed up. I'm glad that God responds to the faithful. I'm glad that God responds to faith, but I'm also glad that he responds to our fear. Because I'm gonna tell you something. My life hasn't been defined only by faith. It's been defined by seasons of fear. But God is faithful. His promise is the same today. It's the same always. I will never leave you or forsake you. And he resurrects and proves himself to them over and over and over. I haven't left, haven't left, haven't left, haven't left, haven't left. I know you don't believe. Mary, I know you don't believe. I know, I know it's fine and difficult. I know you're afraid. I know you're locking yourself in the room, but I haven't left. Could you imagine, put yourself in their shoes, they're reclining around the table and they're, and they're looking at each other like, dude, this could go so bad. This could be so awful. This is, I don't know what we're gonna do. Peter, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? I mean, I mean, they know your face. If they know your face, they know our face. I just heard from a friend that they're saying that we stole the body. Now, now everybody around thinks, thinks that we're some type of charlatans. What are we gonna do, Peter? How are we gonna get through this? What, what's gonna happen? I'm not sure we're gonna make it. You know, I got a family. You know, I got kids. How are we gonna, how are we gonna even go back to work after this? How are we, nothing is gonna work after this. 
And Mary's saying Jesus rose from the dead. I don't even know if I can believe that. How is this going to work, Peter? You could see the frenzy starting in the room and then boom. Everybody looks around, Jesus is standing there. (laughs) What do you say then? If I was Mary Magdalene, I would have went. I told you he was real. I told you he was here. He pops up in the middle of the room and he says, peace be with you. You know what that meant? Settle down. It's okay. You don't have to figure it all out. I'm here. You don't have to figure it out. And I imagine the shock on their faces. And then he says, hey, listen, just to make sure you understand, look at that hand. That's the one you saw. The nail drive through and there's still the scar. Look at this side. That's the one you saw him, saw the guard run the spear in. That's real. Look at me, I'm real. I'm as real as real can get. You can calm down. You don't have to be afraid. I'm, a, I'm walking real into your life right now. And the living God wants to do that for you. And I'm so glad about this because listen, listen, we're in the age of self-help. Can I get on a soapbox for a second? We got books about how to be skinny and not be fat, written by fat people. We got books on how to have a good relationship, written by people who don't have good relationships. We got, because we think we can write three steps down to how things work, and then everybody just do these three steps, and it just works. And we got self-help book after self-help book. And the most popular ones are, are somebody who was awful at this at one time, but then figured out three ways to be good at this. And so the person that used to be awful at this has figured out three ways to be good at this. And now their three ways should be superimposed on everybody on the planet. So if you read the book, if you read the book that I was terrible at this, but now I'm good at this and you implement these three ways, now you can be perfect at this as well. I once, uh, I read a a book a guy wrote that said he had a whole shelf full of self-help books. And he said, what I realized was after I read the book, I was still fat. And after I read the book, I was still not in a relationship. Because here's what happens. I can't live my life on your testimony. I want you to hear me. You can't live your life on on someone else's story. You can't live your life on someone else's experience. You can't live your life on someone else's faith. You can't live your life on someone else seeing Jesus. Why do you believe? Because Mary saw him. Have you seen him? No, but I just believe Mary saw him. Now, if Jesus was dead and resurrected and never revealed himself again to anyone else ever, then we'd be stuck having to listen to somebody else's story. But the truth is we serve the risen savior who is still alive today and moving just as much and revealing himself just as much as he ever was. So there's never been a requirement for you to have faith based on someone else's story. It has never been the requirement. Jesus never said, I want you to believe what people say about me. No, he walked into a locked room and said, you don't have to believe what Mary said about me. Look at my hands now for yourself. He wants you to have your own story. So I need you to understand this. As much as we want to help people, someone else's story doesn't relieve my fear. We have to remember this. Someone else's story doesn't relieve your fear. Here's how this plays out. Here's how this plays out. 
I've got kids. Uh, I've got two adult kids and, 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 and one kid still in high school. Here's how it plays out. My kids would get scared about something. And as a dad, I didn't want them to be scared. So what would I do? I would tell them my story. Well, I'm 20 some years older than all of them. I've already walked through what they've walked through. So if they're afraid of it and I'm not afraid of it, the reason I'm not afraid of it is because I've already walked through it. So if I look at them in the middle of their fear and tell them, look, I've already walked through this, nothing to be afraid about. They're going to go, good for you. Good for you, dad. You're also an adult. You also have a job. You also can do things that I can't do. I'm four right now and I'm afraid of the boogie monster. And I could tell him over and over and over again, look, there's no boogie monster, there's no boogie monster, there's no boogie monster. I'm gonna open the closet door. There's nothing behind the closet door. Thanks, Monsters, Inc. There's nothing behind the closet door. You know why I know there's nothing behind the closet door? Because I was four and I used to open it up all the time. So no matter how much I told them, they had to have their own experience. So now my kids are 21, 18, and 16, and none of them are afraid what's in the closet. Why is that? Not necessarily because I told them there wasn't anything in the closet, but because they've opened the closet in the middle of the night and found there was nothing in it. So here's what I'm saying. We have become used to telling people who are far from God and afraid, this is my story, now you should believe because I told you my story. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is us in the middle of their fear telling them you can experience Jesus. That's totally different. Now, if you wanna tell the story about how you met Jesus and he's willing to meet them, then tell the story. But if you've got a self-help story of just how to alleviate somebody's problems and they should just believe it just because you experienced it, that's not how God set it up. He set it up for them to experience him. So you wanna remove fear in their lives? Introduce them to Jesus. You want to see peace that passes all understanding? You can talk till you're blue in the face about how to alleviate stress in people's, like here's four steps not to be stressed out, four steps not to be fearful in the middle of the coronavirus, five steps not to do this, four steps, well, this is what worked for me. I was not fearful during the coronavirus and lost 20 pounds. Look how successful I am. No, 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 no. If you want to eradicate fear, introduce them to Jesus. Because what I found out, my story doesn't work for everybody because I'm not living the same story you're living. I don't have the same experiences. And when I run out of experiences related to your experiences, then where do I go? And the reality is that Jesus wants to show up in every living room. The reality is Jesus wants to walk into every locked door. The reality is Jesus, Jesus wants to reveal himself to everybody on the planet. And sometimes we have to get out of the way. It's not how many steps can you follow, it's can you, can you meet the risen Savior? Peter wasn't standing up in the middle of this catastrophe going, hey guys, I think there's four things we could do right now to make an effort to get out of this. They didn't have four ways to get out of it. They didn't have any solutions. They had, we need Jesus. And he was faithful. We often tell other people our stories and expect that to be enough. And the reality is, 
that it's only the power of God that can eradicate some of our fear. It's only the comfort that we receive in his presence that can give us peace. It's only him walking into the room. Peter could have stood up and said, come on, you guys got to calm down. You guys got to settle down. And it wouldn't have mattered. But as soon as Jesus steps in the room and says, peace be with you, it changes the atmosphere. So I want to encourage you this morning. You're watching online, you're sitting in your living room. Maybe you're at work. Maybe you're sitting outside watching on the phone. Maybe you're just trying to figure all this out. Maybe you're, maybe this is the most scared you've been in a long time. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're not sure how you're gonna provide. Maybe you're not sure how you're gonna pay your next mortgage or, or the light bill. That's a real fear. These disciples were not petty. These disciples were not just scared of anything. They were real fear. And we're living in an instance right now where that could be gripping you. I'm not asking you to believe my story. I'm not asking you to believe how God has taken care of me and my family over the years. I'm not asking you to believe any of it. I'm asking you to invite him into your locked room. Let him prove himself. I'm asking you in the midst of real fear, in the midst of maybe health concerns. Maybe you're an older person listening in right now this morning, and, and this could be a real serious concern from you, for you. I'm asking you not to believe my story. I'm asking you to let God reveal himself to you this morning. Because as a church, we're not just here to tell stories. We're here to introduce people to the risen Savior. And the beautiful thing about it, we're going to find out next week with Thomas He wants you to have your own encounter with him, not rely on somebody else's encounter, not not say, well, Mary saw him and that's good enough for me or Peter thinks he's risen, so that's good enough for me. He wants to show up to you. He wants to prove himself to you today. He wants to prove himself that he is still alive, that he is still capable, that he is still, he can do abundantly beyond all you could ever ask or imagine, that there is nothing too difficult for him. He wants to prove himself to you this morning. Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, well, I've never had a conversation with him. He wants to have a conversation with him. Well, I've never even asked God for anything. He wants you to ask. Well, I've, I've, never, I've never thought about him relieving. He wants you to tell him you're afraid. Just like the evening of the resurrection when the disciples had locked themselves in the door and he walks in, You don't even have to give him the key to the door. Just let him walk in. He'll reveal himself in the most difficult time you could ever imagine and prove to you that he's real. The band's gonna come up. So again, I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm not asking you to believe that Christian neighbor that's beside you. That's been telling you for 10 years that, no, 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 God's taking care of me. God's taking care of me. I'm not asking you to believe anybody. I'm asking you to let him in the room. I'm asking you to say, I'm praying right now that he just walks in the room and that God's presence is in your living room right now, revealing himself to you the way he did the disciples. God wants to prove himself to you and not just through somebody else's story. He wants to give you your own of his faithfulness and goodness and his love for you and his peace for you. Father, we thank you. I believe you're walking in homes right now, all over the place, all over the country, Lord. You're walking into homes. 
Lord, even if you're uninvited, I pray that you reveal yourself. Even if the doors lock, I pray that you reveal yourself. Even if somebody's stricken with fear to the point of paralysis, Lord, they can't fight, they can't flight, they're just stuck. Lord, I pray that you reveal yourself right now to them in Jesus' name. Reveal yourself to them. Lord, I pray that today would start their own story. I pray it would be a Resurrection Sunday story. Lord, where I, I didn't even know what to do, God. I, I was so scared. I didn't know where to turn. I was, I was out of options. But that day he showed up. He just showed up. Church, I ask you to pray. I ask you to pray for your neighbors. Pray for your family. Pray for those far away from God. I ask you to pray for him right now that the God who breathed life into us would show up today. Even right now, just show up. And start that story in their lives. Show up and reveal yourself today, God, in people's lives. Show up and reveal yourself to them. The same way you did the disciples in the middle of fear, show up. Show up. So let me say this. When God reveals himself to you, don't ignore it. The God of all creation wants to give you eternal life today. He wants to offer salvation to you. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to, he wants to give you peace in the middle of fear. He wants to, to trade that thing you've been carrying around for his peace. And it's not going to make any sense. But the Bible says that all we have to do is confess that he is Lord. That, that we recognize that in and of ourselves we can do nothing to forgive ourselves. We, we, can't, we can't do enough to make it right. But today you can accept his forgiveness. Today you can accept his salvation. Today you can start your story with him. And I believe he's revealing himself to you right now. And so you can accept that grace he's given you, accept that forgiveness he's giving you right now. And he wants to give you eternal life. He wants to, he wants to take away the unsurety. He wants to take away the fear in this moment and give you a sure thing that Jesus went to the cross and died for you. He went to the cross and took on that penalty for you. And he wants to guarantee it for you today. Start your story with him today. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you honor and glory for all that you've done, God. And we thank you for this moment. I pray all over the country, God, people coming to you, starting their story with you. Reveal yourself to them right now. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. We give you thanks for it. Amen and amen. Come on, give it praise, church.